everyone. Welcome to Bookversations. We're your hosts, Suayad. And I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. This episode's conversation is inspired by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's Americana. So Suad, do you want to tell us what the book is about? The book is about two lovers from secondary school who go to uni together, but due to the circumstances in Nigeria, so strike at university, one of them moves to America, and the story just follows how they grew apart from them moving away. See how short that blurb is, but the book is actually like 500 pages I know. long. <laughs> 500 pages is way too long, but you know, let's go into Our uh, initial thoughts about the book. I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm laughing because um, I know how Mahmoud feels about this book. So basically, I read this book the first time in 2014 and never finished it. And the reason why I didn't finish it was someone must have told me, I don't remember what it was, but someone must have told me what happened in the end. Mm -hmm. And I flicked to the end and I was like, this is actually what happened. I don't think it was, it must have been you or someone else. And I flicked to the end and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what happened. And then I was so pissed, like, why would I carry on reading this book yeah, when I know that this is how it's going to end? So I was about to get into a business in London, mm. and I was like, no, I'm not doing this to myself. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Carrying on. So I left this book, and I have it on my bookshelf. So for four years, I didn't touch my Americana. And they were like, okay, because obviously the time has changed, we've grown, and I have a different mindset now. So perhaps if I read it again, I would see differently. And when I did, when I started reading it, I really liked it. I'm not going to lie. I mm. liked, like all the conversations. So Chimamanda is very good at weaving in so many different things that she cares about in the world into yeah, stories. So I feel like she brings a lot of those things into this book. I liked the blog post that she does at the end of each chapter, even though it gets overbearing towards the end. I loved some of the characters. I liked the story of Auntie Uju, so that's a feminist yeah. aunt. I really liked her story. Okay. I liked the story of a feminist dad because you see him grow and fall and grow again. So I liked that. Um, I liked the fact that they talked about depression, how the mindset that Africans or Nigerians perhaps have about how depression is not a thing for them. It's like Mm -hmm. a white people thing. It's a thing that Americans suffer from. But not for them because it doesn't happen to you as long as you have God and prayer and all those little things. Mm, So I liked that. I liked all the conversations that this book sparked. I think that's my favourite part about favourite thing about the book. What did I like? Okay, so it was hard. (laughs) No, okay, no, I agree. I mean, the whole book is excellently written. But as far as like emotional involvement, I really liked the first part. I thought it had more of that's true to be fair meat, so to towards speak. the end I was like I was not that attached to anyone yeah. I mean I understood their love I understood uh-huh. what they were going through but I wasn't like feeling like oh, oh my gosh I care about this character yeah. so much whereas with other books I've had a character that was written for it, no the middle was just so necessary for me like I liked the beginning and the end even, even though part of my like qualms of this book was because like I didn't like Femilu but I think Obinze I liked throughout the book no Obinze is uh, I, I liked he's him a gem. He's throughout a gem. the book he's a gem. if I really got my nerves way too intense well then I feel like that's how that's she was meant to be she was meant to be irritating because there's sometimes yeah. she do something and you'd be like oh what a selfless person mm-hmm. and then she do some things and you'd be like are you dumb like how she broke up with Kurt it was so silly it was so reckless I mean not no the thing is I encourage... If she broke up with him, that's fine because his family was probably right. No, 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 that's fine. It's the way in which she went. I was proud of her for being courageous and wanting to try something new. But exactly. I broke up with him first. She just kept making decisions that were like contradictory to the things that she would talk about in terms of her values. I know. If you look at her, because you read her blog post, so the way she interacts with people, judge other people, but then the way she acts in like, her own life, it was just like, sis, get it together, please. Anyways, what else did you like? Um, okay, I thought that social commentary in the book was really good, like the blog post. Oh, yeah, I think in a way it was like Chimamanda inserting herself it, it, into the. It was. The family had some important conversations with yeah, some people. Yeah, very, very important. So I really liked the blog post. But I think after a while, I was just like, I just want to read the book. I don't want to read true. the family's blog post anymore. The first and the last 
last chapters with my favorite ever said that Ibo as well I loved I, I love the Ibo, um, Ibo 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 it so well you know the part where they're yeah. talking about exchanging proverbs exactly. I loved that she section. just even like just the small phrases I kept highlighting because I was like I want to learn Ibo same like same. she did it in purple biscuits yeah she did it in half of a yellow she does it so well I love how she like, does it she does same, it so well same. and it just makes the language sound so beautiful it does, um, it does. I like the flashbacks as well because there's quite a bit of a break in between like there's a lot of flashbacks she's in it. a hair shop but you go through so her many life years while in that she's hair in that shop. shop yeah. And I thought like the way she wrote but that was... Hair braiding takes time anyway. Yeah, so I, it was intentional. So as far as the writing is concerned, I, it's beautiful. I you thought see, it was beautiful. She's a very written. good... I think she's so good at describing things. Exactly. So good at like creating scenes. I love I She has that Chino Achebe flavour. just thought it needed to be tighter. Like... I think you could have cut it down to three hundred. I mean, because I felt like it was a book that was bordering on being legendary, but the editing flopped. <laughs> I have very strong emotions about this book. I know I you do because I really like to like criticize people, like people's books, because as an author as well. But she's not the like she's not her book. If that makes sense, you can't touch my mother's legacy. She's so... just excellent. But this was not your favorite book. Yeah, basically. if someone was like recommended Chimamanda book, I feel like Papa Viscous, things around your neck for Vielisan, and then this. It could also be because of the fact that she tried to touch on almost every too many character things. in the book. Like, some people were so unnecessary, like too Blaine's many problems. Sister, when you dip your toes in so many things, like you can really get a flavor of everything. Fiction. You know when you have those how-to fiction books, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that like, you can't solve all the world's problem in one it's book. It's not possible. But I guess yeah, she tried ambition to is coming all in. her world views into that book. I'm sure, you actually felt about almost everything. Yeah. The racial ones, the depression, mental health, everything, politics, rich man, poor man, mentality, Nigeria, religion. Power. Okay, so the first part of the novel begins in a hair shop. Efemilu is going back to Nigeria, and before she goes back, mm-hmm. she's braiding her hair oh in the hair I shop. I actually forgot she was going back to Nigeria, she braided to braid her yeah, hair because the entire she novel is told, I know. Or the entire story is told, and then she went back to Nigeria. Wow, yeah. So it begins with her in this hair shop in was it Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let's talk about the significance of hair in this novel because that opening scene was a mess, or perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> No, the reason why I say it's a mess is even before we see her interaction with perhaps, let's say, white people, because sometimes when we speak about hair, we mm-hmm. speak about it in terms of white people's, the way white people react or interact with us. So mm-hmm. one thing that I know a lot of people hate is white people touching their hair. Yeah. And you, I mean, we wear hijabs, so they can't see our hair to be touching it and you can't be rubbing off on my hijab. So it's a whole <laughs> different thing. I haven't had the experience, yeah. but I can, I can see why that's irritating, irritating mm-hmm. and just a conversation that you don't want to have. But this one begins with black women talking to Ephemalu about her hair is too hard why doesn't she relax it it's well, untamed people go through that though a lot of people naturally still get people that tell them why do you have a natural hair yeah and so when you watch like home videos as they used to call them dreams you'd see that a lot of the actresses as well would have you ever seen anyone rocking an afro they I just noticed even my favorite TV shows. I've just realized the black ones that I watch. Ooh, apart from Blackish, because yeah, Tracy and Yara yeah, rock there. Beautiful. And but, what's the name? And um, Masai. Who? The youngest daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She does too. But apart from that show, I just realised that one of the other shows that I was watching the other day, that they all have relaxed hair. So even even though we're having conversation, even though the natural hair movement has boomed over the years, mm-hmm. and like thankfully we as black women are now so appreciating movie. our hair more and rejecting Eurocentric ideals of beauty. What were we saying about movie? Napoli ever. Oh, God. Anyways, carry on. <laughs> See the way I... I just remembered because it said hair Let's conversations. <laughs> I feel like they just found the market and they just sold... 10 years to too late. Anyways. It was just... That movie was a bit uh, mess. A big uh, fat mess. What was I? 
<laughs> but Joe Amado was right because when she talks about even the people who are at the top of like entertainment industry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or when in one of the essays when she mentioned that Michelle Obama mm-hmm. that's true have you ever seen no. it's always relaxed yeah. so even, even though we are making progress image, the images that we still see reinforce this idea exactly. that because straightened hair society. is what makes you acceptable within society but well, you go to the hairdressers and they would tell you I can't comb your some of them are just annoying though I can't comb your hair it's too hard it's too hard why don't you just relax it's ridiculous. Is that literally the solution? Why don't you buy some conditioner? Why? How did you think about the way hair was portrayed in this book or the significance of it? I felt like the conversations that she conversations she had were important. So there was a part where the part about braids when mm-hmm. and she was it Auntie G said she said braids are too unprofessional. I don't understand. For me, it's the same thing as like wearing the hijab when they said we shouldn't wear the hijab to work. This hair is on someone's head. How does it affect the work that they're doing? So I have braids. You have your blonde, long, whatever, brown, brunette, straight hair, whatever. I doesn't matter what hair I have. Like, does it actually affect what I'm doing? Does it make me any less capable of being able to do work? I don't understand. I just don't understand the link between being professional and like doing. I don't know what is yeah. professional. Uh, there's a point where they say defined as professional. There's a point where they said wearing having nose piercing is not professional. Now you go to interviews and the person that's even interviewing has a nose piercing. So I'm, I don't understand who defines what professional. But it's the fact that we're still having that we're still having this conversation because unfortunately. How many years ago was this book published? Twenty fourteen. Okay, oh, not that far off. Not that I'm saying America now would have changed the landscape of policies, but I feel like once once every three months, I still see a news article about a woman taking someone to court over the fact mm. someone said something about her hair or she was fired because of her hair. More recently, there was a boy in a school with dreadlocks, and the school told him to cut his locks. And you're thinking, right from a very school young age, you had those girls in wife. South Africa that were protesting oh, yeah, about their, their hair. afros, and it's like cons- like consistently, black people cannot. We can't just live. <laughs> literally, we can't, the hair on our head. Cannot, and do you know what relaxers do to be? It's so it harmful. Ruins you, literally, I mean, some people scalp sometimes when they relax their hair. Completely burns. Burns. Oh god. We're injecting chemicals into our into our body just in the name of being accepted Somebody's in society. Saying that someone's hair is not professional and looking beautiful. Come on, put a scissors through my hair, please, because I don't understand. And for me, obviously, I wear the hijab. But if I, to be honest, if I didn't wear the hijab, I was still rocking my afro. Yeah. I would just do braids. <laughs> and if you like, tell me to take it off. I'm not taking like, it off. People, people always ask us to see their God, in my opinion. Uh, they ask to see when they fire you somewhere, your life is over. I mean, I know it's sad. Like, but it's the fact that it should be happening. Know, I know, I know, I know. But the fact that people don't act like because or oh, they have this power over you, then they can get you to do what they want. It's not fair because they're talking about free society. Everyone should be free. Equality. But then at the same time you're saying, oh, don't come to work like that. Freedom. So who are you to tell me what is professional? But then when you some people not you know some workplaces you have to put makeup on. If you don't put makeup on, you're not allowed to come to work. What? Yes. That's ridiculous. So, I've never been to an for, interview in my life wearing makeup. Actually, I don't know. No, have I gone to an interview? Wearing, I have gone to some interviews wearing makeup. But in the past couple of years, I've not gone to. Because I want you to know what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was on placement, when I was on placement, I didn't used it's to wear makeup. I start work at seven. So imagine the struggle of wearing makeup every single day. I mean, I don't have the time. No, nah, that's rubbish. But yeah, I think that this conversation about hair, I think it's very important to for us to bring it up when necessary. So if someone was to tell you, oh, you can't have that um, hairstyle, you have to ask them why. Because I still, someone hasn't told me a good reason why braids are not professional. Mm-hmm. So our next conversation is on the immigrant experience, as we are both immigrants. <laughs> God. I'll be laughing actually. Um, so it's just the conversation about what drives it. What are the hardships of being an immigrant or a child of an immigrant? As explored in this book. Literally, um, and a family in Abin's experience, which is so sad. I feel like they had really sad experiences as immigrants. Very destroying experiences, but it mirrors a lot bro. of people. 
experience. Initial adjustment. And there's a lot of pressure. In so you know how with us, our parents come with us and we still have that pressure of our parents left all their job to come here. Mm-hmm. Even though if you're in a business, parents didn't go with them, there was still the pressure of, I need to please my parents. And I, I need to survive. They need to know that I've come here and I've made something out of it because then it's like, I might as well have stayed in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, I feel like the hardships of the immigrant experience is there and we don't talk about it that much. Actually, I was talking to someone and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I went to do, I want to do psychology because then at least I can I understand the struggle of a black person and Muslim children and the immigrant experience too because we don't talk enough about it, but the amount of pressure. Some people don't do the careers that they want to do because yeah. they're constantly thinking, my parents have come this far because of me. They've left all that they had in whatever country they're mm. in. But I feel like it's a lot of a burden to have to carry around on your chest for years because I feel like at the end of the day you might end up presenting your parents so then what is the point like yeah it's a struggle and I understand that parents sacrifice a lot but when do you then draw the line or how do they know when they're not putting too much because some, some parents constantly remind you of how they left everything that they had yeah, just because of you how can you be doing this to them if you come and have if you have a, like a different what's the word career that you want to run or do because and tell them oh I want to become a, I don't know a social worker and they've already always planned or dreams that you're going to be I don't know a doctor and then your mom will be like wow Wow, I left the country for you, left all my job for you to make something of yourself and this is what you want to mm-hmm. be. And then you now become pressured to like wanting to study medicine and it's just like really... It's an interesting juxtaposition because I think for them, survival was actually about physically surviving. It was a lot about financial security. That's Whereas, true. because I don't know, I definitely get where you're coming from, but I also think we're speaking from a place of luxury as well of because we, we know, are, right? Like, <laughs> because we know. It's not the same because we're it's not, not we're not struggling to survive. There you go. I'm not That's why we have the luxury of saying, I But then, for us as well, it's also about mental survival, survival as well. Because if you like, you recognize that if you're doing a job that you don't necessarily like, that when mentally when I was on placement, you hate it. Can kill every you. single day. You'd be like, I hate coming here. So it's depriving you of joy. So it's like balancing, balancing. I don't, I, feel I don't like think our parents had a lot of mental health issues, but they did it like. It's not that it's not something you sit down and talk about. There's always something to worry about because you're always thinking about money. Where's money going to come from? Mm-hmm. Which I kind of understand. I felt like if family and Abinze had that as well, mm-hmm. so they had the expectations of what oh, would I tell my mom if I go back? But then they also had the they needed to survive. Mm-hmm. If family struggle as an immigrant. I think that could have broken an entire existence. Exactly, and I think we don't we don't give them enough credit because when you think about the racism that they face, oh my god! Like I as went through, immigrants, those are housemates were just trash, absolute trash. It's absolutely horrifying experiences, either because of your color, the way that you speak. I think it's just the, one of the stereotypes you put attached from where you're from. I'm I'm so many things that you have to deal with, and you're just trying to survive. I feel sorry for international students who, like, for example you've left whatever country you're from and you've come to a different country to study and you don't know anyone there. Like, how hard can that be? I know. And I feel like maybe people in the US or international students of this, I feel like, I don't know if how true that is, but I feel like they struggle more than, the, than you would do in the UK. Do you? I don't know what it is, but I just feel like maybe, Why do I don't know that? what it is. Because I, I remember my cousins, because we moved here as well, my cousins, when they moved to Nigeria, they had a lot of problems. When they moved to Nigeria? No, sorry, to America from okay. Nigeria. They had a lot of problems. Whereas I came here and I was like, yeah, people are doing things, but maybe it's because I didn't face them. That's probably why I think like that. Though. Okay. Because I remember one of my cousins was like, she was outright bullied to the core for no reason but the fact that she had just come from Nigeria and she was black. Okay, this is interesting because in the book, I think Chimamanda talks about the way conception of 
the way racism manifests in both US and UK is very different and I would agree. It is. That's I think true. in the US it's <laughs> okay, more... Okay, no, no. It's not what it is. I know what it is. The UK. Where's the UK? We're still trying to do exactly... Coral, coral. Oh, I mean, days. I just watched Question Time no, um, no, two days ago. That's true, that's and um, our white brother on that show was like, UK is the least racist country in Europe. <laughs> and the guy, I think his name was George the Poet, and he was like, so are you going to tell me that the police don't come to my house? Like, White people in this country yes. actually believe they deny in their soul. They deny racism that it doesn't exist. That they're not racist. I'm and I'm not trying to say all oh, white people before anyone comes to this At you and be like, sister, I'm going to audio me. Just in case this audio clip is one day cut. But we haven't acknowledged the institutional racism no, that like, exists in this I, country. Literally, when you said it, I realized that's true. Because we I said haven't it a even lot begun. Well. Whereas in the US, at least we know they it's are very honest about racism. We hate you, and you know we hate they you. They are very honest. Whereas white people, they're still trying to this do country. a. It's we're not racist. Subtle. At oh least we're not God. as racist as other countries. That's, that's what they're saying. Or like you not being as racist as other country is a good thing for you to even be on that scale in the first place. Now, when you said it, I just realized. I used to say I was saying a lot last year because someone was trying to tell me how. People in the UK are not that racist. Someone attacked someone on social media and Instagram. She's like, "Why?" It was during Meghan Markle's wedding. Mm-hmm. Hey, even that during Meghan Markle's wedding. So I think people were being racist to the Reverend, the preacher, and and someone must have said something. And I was like, and someone must have said, "Oh, people in the UK are not racist." Because an American made a comment, mm-hmm. and then someone must have been like, "Oh no, but we in the UK are not as racist as you Americans." And I was like, "No, mate, laugh by yourself. it's because you guys are subtle with it, like." They will do it, and you still you have to question yourself. That was was that racist? Should I be offended? Should I not be offended? And then you know what they did? They laugh at them. <laughs> you joke, Mike. Um. Yeah, I was saying that race and class intertwine as well. But then also one of the really prevalent things. You know, one of the, the most eye-opening moments for me in my life in this country, the Olympics when they were hosting the Olympics in this country. Yeah. And the black athletes in the Daily Mail, which of course is an institution, <laughs> Daily and it's very fascinating to me when, I, when I'm on the bus and I see white people um, reading that newspaper because it's and worrying. I don't make assumptions that it's very worrying. It is worrying. And in that newspaper and a couple of others, they were um, they referred to the black athletes as um, plastic Brits, and what? I think that concept it was very I, I, in the sense that you might have a, a british passport but the by the virtue of you being black don't yeah. ever deceive yourself that you are actually british but if you don't know even that, that whole concept about gratitude noticed, be grateful that you're here because your life would be worse in the country that you're That's coming from say. Oh my that God. is a part of their racism that they will not admit <laughs> well you know that thing where it's like when they're reporting the news and this person did something bad they'll be like the Nigerian, the Nigerian. Have you ever noticed? I don't know. It's the Senegalese guy. But in the moment you do something that they're proud of, maybe you win like a football match for them or something. Like, oh, the British. They even forget the Nigerian. <laughs> the <laughs> British guy. I'm just like, oh, this country. country. Trash, Unless, so, yeah. The other thing is what well, <laughs> when we think about institutional barriers and we think about institutions like Oxford or Cambridge. Or even recently, really someone was telling sense. me about um, civil service. It's not that black students are not good enough of course not. to apply for these institutions. It's the fact that there are barriers within these places, social capital that are. is accessible to white people, that black yeah, people don't have. We had like some... Oh, because God, again, like I said, class has a role to play in it as well. We had a problematic And we're not being honest 
about the situation, which that means we talk which about which means they're not talk, doing anything about it. Well, anything that can fix the problem. Yeah, because in the US, you talk about the school to prison pipeline. I feel like here as well, the the experiences of it, black students, you know what? Yeah, racism has a lot to play with it, and we won't acknowledge we it. About, exactly. So in America, for example, you know, there's a lot of black people in prison. In this country, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of black people in prison because these things are not in your face. Nobody's having. Well, we're not really having these conversations. You're not aware. Exactly. So you're living a blind life until you actually then go to uni and then you experience full of racism or Islamophobia and then you're like, Because I remember when I was in first year of uni, there was Islamophobia and Islamophobic mm-hmm. incident in our school where they sprayed, I can't remember, what, kill Muslims or kill Islam. There was also for Jews and they do the Nazi science. Can I don't know who these people are, but it happened and our uni didn't do anything about it because I said apparently the CCTV in that area wasn't working. Conveniently. Was oh my God. This week, they just revealed this guy that was in um, the Charlottesville March in the US mm-hmm. that was Fontan Center He's now studying at LSE. And they said, unfortunately, um, something along the line of um, he's a student just like everyone else and he's, he's not threatening LSE. But how do you know, seriously, how do you expect black students, Asian students, whatever background of other students to be in the same class s- sitting down next to this guy as a fascist that you've seen at a march telling people to get out of the country? How do you actually Make expect that? Brits, yeah, America white again. But these institutions... Mm, God bless white America. <laughs> So now they're exporting or importing whatever the word is. Uh, they're trying so to cleanse the world, isn't it? And the UK they're trying like, to cleanse the world. Let's grab them. I'm sure they don't appreciate but it. But anyway, yeah. part of what I, was, um, <laughs> I wanted to mention as well, like even in schools, when you think about how easy it is to label black boys as problematic, mm-hmm. but black boys are aggressive, the no, girls are so too, sad, too yeah. loud. And a lot of parents, because again, talk about immigrant experience mm-hmm. because they're trying to get financial security. If your parents, for example, like working 24 hours, okay, not they can't two jobs. Hours. Yeah, some yeah. Two jobs. That, you know, and they can't, they can't, they can't be there to interact. Because I remember my mom with my brother, like she would go to school because she realised one of, one of his teachers definitely had a problem with him. Wow. So she was like, we need to have a conversation. Love you, mom, <laughs> Yo, when I was in secondary school in Nigeria, the, oh Lord, let me not start. <laughs> I love you, mom. So my you. mom, but in this country, when we first started, she he realized that one of one of his teachers was starting to put him down on that path and she was like we need to have a conversation because yeah he might be disrespectful at times and he should not be that but the way in which it is exacerbated or pushed down it then means that someone is always in detention or like we said if he's been if he's been bullied by other people in the class mm-hmm. and he then retaliates he's the only person that gets punished blame, of course exactly oh. so even, even all of that is so and the sad thing is obviously being in Nigeria you didn't think of yourself you just everyone looks the same as you you don't think about all these little things then when you come to this country you see that there are some things that you don't normally do that you'd have to do to survive so for example I realised that there's a guy that came from Nigeria to my secondary school in this country mm. and he had to join the people who were bullying you know how you'd have teachers who had like the Nigerian accent or the African African quote unquote uh, I hate that term African accent because yeah. it doesn't exist but the African accent right and you'd find a lot of people who bully these teachers mm-hmm. that actually black people and this boy had to join in because he had to try to be a monk if not you'd be the one who'd be the butt of their jokes mm. and it's like things this immigrant experience thing because you're just trying to survive or trying to be them if not somebody would get rude to you if not someone would tease you and then you start acting the way you're not mm-hmm. i think that's why a lot of us a lot of people africans in diaspora for a period of time you have identity crisis because you're still trying to figure out like you've just been operated from a place where you didn't even have to think about that too much you've come in it's like where do I even fit in and even though you find other black people it's like yes they're black but it's not the same my yeah. experiences are different and now it's like how do I make sure how do I try to make myself fit into which is why I love Brené Brown but mm-hmm. it's like how do I make myself fit into this thing that they're getting to like so that they don't bully me so they don't call me fresh off the boat I 
Okay, before we get into accent and if I'm a lose encounter, I remember in one of Chimamanda's interview, she was saying that the concept of being black didn't occur to her until she was in the US. And I would say the same as well. Because blackness and the way that it operates in the US and the UK isn't something that you don't think we about have in Nigeria. Nigeria. I mean, There's like other markers like what your religion is, what your class is, there what was, tribe that you're true. from. But your race, exactly. But race didn't function but in the same way that it, it does. And, and the, there were white people in Nigeria, but then you were just like, oh, there's a white person from England there. That's it. You don't even think too much about it. You just see them, go past them, move on. But isn't it interesting that our, when we were younger, our identity wasn't constructed around her, our blackness so much as it at is all. now, I would say. Because even now, when you think about this whole, our, this identity of I'm a black Muslim, well, is that something I've that you have said before? No, it wasn't. But because you're, Nigerian, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because you're in new circumstances, space, yeah. exactly, this new space. And that means you that your like identity I'm is then black. constructed around mm-hmm. the things that you feel like people are attacking you Things, immigrant experience, things. It's life changing though. But I think it, depending on how it goes, it makes you stronger to an extent. Resilience. Yeah, because you, you do have to adapt very quickly to mm-hmm. certain things and you'd go through so much. I but mean. I think it's unfortunate that we even have to do that. I know, I feel that's the thing about fitting in and belonging. I feel like you should be able to leave one country, go to another country and still feel like you belong. Because white people aren't subjected to that experience. At all. When they A go white to Nigeria. Is an expat. It then means that I, everyone please, looks at that because <laughs> no, I'm saying that's the term, common narrative. I, know, I used to tell expert everybody now. It's not <laughs> you call yourself a white immigrant or you call yourself or we all call ourselves experts. So when I come to your country, I'm an expert. If I'm not an expert, oh, then we're all immigrants. Because I mean, what's, who even made up the term? People, people are actually sly because you make up immigrant, but you want to make up expert again. See, different playing field for everyone. No, that's <laughs> Sorry, but we're not doing this. I didn't like. I'm not using the term expert. Let's just all stick to immigrant, okay? Let's not confuse Sorry. ourselves here because that's what we all know, immigrants, in it? Let's use the term Oh, uh, But there's so much to talk about about the immigrant experience in this book. There was the one um, with the... Oh, we were talking about the accent, before, the accent before. What was the code? So if Emily was in school, yeah, um, no, was enrolling for classes. And for you to enroll in classes, you have to talk to someone and there's this lady called Christina. So this is the quote in the book. If Emily goes... No, the lady actually spoke to her, right? Mm. But the lady was talking to her like this. She was like, what is your <laughs> name? Right. So, so if Emily was wondering why she was talking to her like that, she so this when she repeated the thing she said, whatever, if Emily realized that's probably because this lady thought she couldn't speak English. So if Emily was like, I speak English. I mean, she, if Emily is Nigerian, and for those who don't know, Nigeria was colonized by Britain, so our universal <laughs> language is English. Just say no, just put it out there. In other words, don't be surprised. <laughs> so if Emily was like. I speak English. And the lady was like, I bet you do. I just don't know how well. And I love the way, like, Chimamanda described what happened afterwards. So, if mm-hmm. Emily shrank in that strange two seconds when, when her eyes met Christina Thomas's before she took the forms, she shrank. She shrank like a dried leaf. She had spoken English all her life, led the debating society in secondary school, and always thought the American twang inchoate. She should not have covered and shrunk, but she did. And in the following weeks, as autumn's coolness descended, she began to practice an American accent. The struggle of practicing an accent is... Because people keep saying pardon. Real. Pardon. And you know pardon. what makes me so upset about <laughs> this entire me. accent situation with me, though, is that people actually are just trash. Because <laughs> if I was... Um, again, if I was European and I spoke English with my European accent, they didn't have a problem. Sorry. The problem I have with this You're is... You're French. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so cute. Exotic. And then they'll tell you, 
And I'm sad because we're speaking African. English, right? Yeah. And we speak better English than the British people, <laughs> the people that even this English. Because you know in Nigeria they teach English, they teach you grammar to the core. So you're speaking good English, right? It's very you use good words. You're, so you're pronouncing the vowels and the consonants. <coughs> and all of a sudden, because you say, so for example, it's exaggerate, right? Mm-hmm. No, not, that's not a good example. Extravagant. Nigerians will say extravagant. Right. So extravagant, okay. extravagant. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, no, please, because you don't understand. At the end of the day, right? My point is, you can understand what I'm saying. So when you want to be extra, so you'll be like, uh, I don't understand what you're saying. Oh my god! My point is, as long as you understand what I'm saying, do we have to actually make this a big deal? Like, but people will bully you because you can't you can't pronounce a certain word properly. And the funny thing is, I remember when I was on placement. So majority of my work, the people I worked with were white. So there was this white lady. Who obviously, she she probably didn't go to a private school or like then posh schools, depending on where she lived mm. in. And there's a word I don't remember what the word is, but she didn't say how you would normally say it. I'll, like if you're using the phonemes that it teaches you when you're growing up here, mm. she didn't say it that way, and they made fun of her. And I was like interesting because she's actually white like british right and i'm like like what is the point you knew for you to be able to like make fun of her correct or whatever you knew what she was talking about so why don't we just leave it at the fact that we know what you're talking about yeah. why do we have to then pause and like make fun of you that's not how you say it because at the end of the day who wrote this stupid dictionary <laughs> it's a human being who made up this tri- yeah this language is also one of the ways that people exert power mm-hmm. part of the immigrant experience and i think even like sometimes <laughs> when my dad's on the phone and he's trying to and he's saying H for uh, something, H for house, like he's trying to say, uh, but it, it's for them now. You know, they like, preempt that people are going to be like, pardon, pardon. So then they feel like they have to do things like uh, that. Because you know how, like, even when you say H for, because there's some Nigerians don't say like that. Oh, house, yeah. Okay. So now you have to be like, house. <laughs> because they'll say, and I say, so he has to be like emphasize the cookie. Since somebody knock on my attacking, even Nigerians attacking. So yeah, you're not saying the H, you're not saying the H. I know. Oh, this thing is, it's just, it's so sad because. In secondary school, that's like some people's experience where they've come. Maybe some people's their parents probably didn't even go to school, but they saved up money for mm. send them to this country to go and live with some auntie. So they don't really have that that thing where they've gone to a private school in Nigeria. So they still got like maybe they had British teachers because some schools in Nigeria have British teachers or whatever. And so they still have come here and they struggle. And throughout your secondary school life, you be you're bullied by someone. Then you go to sixth school, you're bullied by someone. Like how do you survive? A lot of bullies become bullies as well. Or they just shut out, so they don't they don't bother making yeah. friends or talking to anyone. It's mm-hmm. school that they don't talk to anyone. And um, but it's because of the experience it's yeah. from before, and this that immigrant experience is real. shut down, which is a nice leeway into the immigrant experience and mental health, as Chimamanda writes about in this uh, book. It's heartbreaking. Is it really is, and it's so realistic as well. It is. It That's is. the part I could like, relate to some of the feminism. All of it is so realistic. I think Abinze's one was like the biggest one for me. Well, not mm. biggest. Maybe it's because I live in the UK and I've seen, I know, I've heard of people who have gone through where you're living in this country, your visa's expired, there's no papers, you're about to do some sham marriage, you're working on someone else's ID because obviously, someone else's ID because your visa's expired and you can't mm. have an expired visa. And you know the feeling of like, when you leave your house, you have to check in over your shoulder every single day. That he didn't even have, didn't even have a house anxiety. at some point. Wasn't he staying with like his cousin or yeah, something? Yeah, he had to. And... The struggle, being a constant state of anxiety can kill someone. It just, I think I'd rather just let myself life. at home. But then again, it's like if you look at yourself, how will you survive? Because you will not be dependent on, you cannot be dependent on anyone. I mean, I understand people here are working, so they can't be obviously feeding another mouth, mm. which is why you have to fend for yourself. And you see, you don't want to be a burden because every time they were just looking at you like, so you've been in our house for this long. Like going something on the table, yeah, and that there's the pressure of that. There's also the pressure of okay, you've left the con- Nigeria now, you're here, what are you doing? And then being at work and trying to relate with your workmates and not knowing if somebody will sauce you out and say, 
I found out so you're not you're not the person you say you mm. are. Just being on a different identity, yeah. learn God. Just that label, like illegal, because it makes me think about the refugee crisis and just our general inhumane attitude towards other human beings who are trying to survive. Quite frankly, in countries that we've participated. <coughs> in destroying because the refugee crisis is one of those ones where I gen I genuinely find some of the conversations really heartless because when you think about it the UK sells arms to Saudi who is then bombing Yemen for example so then how do we then justify to ourselves that we're not complicit in this war and I've had this conversation with one of my university students and he was like but we've got to make money how are we going to survive but really? are you not thinking about no. the human literally that was the day when I was like not Mm, mm, not everyone at this university is intelligent. <laughs> yeah, please. Because the fact that you can actually say that with your own mouth and not reflect <laughs> and not think to yourself—that's problematic. That like, come on, we need mouth. to be Maybe doing better. Our politics are operating at this level right now, but we need to be doing better. But for you, as long as you you've survived, but we can't. Like we don't have enough empathy. Some people have not. They don't have that thing where they can look other human beings. They don't know how to do it. That just destroys me. So if you're not in my personal space, you're not my sister, my brother. So it's like, it's okay for us to make as much money as we can off selling arms, but we're also not going to admit refugees. Because they'll tell you, well, at least we're not the one killing them. It's selling arms. Someone will tell you that too. But I think it's it's the thing of like empathy. I don't dying idealistic person. But then that's that's you. Some people are okay, totally fine, not having to worry about anyone else in the world but themselves. Yeah, but I think this book really humanizes like the immigrant experiences because it's so heartbreaking when you read about Obinze and your family as well. Family's mental health just, just died. The first week of no, the first couple months of uni, I think she struggled. I think what made it worse was when she started doing things that she wouldn't normally do that because the cut off point for her was when. There's a part in the book where she has to do something with this man. She didn't have sex with him, but she has to do something with him that she got paid for because she was really brave. Like she couldn't mm. pay rent, she couldn't pay her bills. She'd been applying for jobs when no one would employ her. Even she tried using someone else's ID, didn't she? But she couldn't get the job or something. Yeah. Like she struggled. And imagine applying for jobs upon jobs upon the frustration that comes with that. No way. Remember, she didn't even get a full scholarship. That's mm. why she was actually struggling as well because she had to pay for something and obviously until you couldn't even help her as well because until you herself was struggling just trying to pass her exams for medicine as well mm. like so like all of that struggle eventually broke her down i mean at some point abisa was helping because they were still keeping in touch and there was one thing she could connect to but after she did that one thing that she that made her see herself as like dirty like as someone else basically she felt like a different person that in skin mm. and then she cut off contact with abisa and then i feel like after that it just all went down yeah if her friend didn't come to her to pull her out. I feel like she could have killed herself over yeah. time because she didn't leave her room now. The immigrant so experience sad. is that of struggle and I really loved the way that she wrote about it. I think mental health um, was also big. What I didn't like about this mental health conversation, well, not that I didn't like, but so if DKM attempts suicide in like the book, who's a family's cousin? Yeah, a family's cousin. He's lived in, so he was raised in the States, so I think it was about 15 years old when that happened mm. or something. And, like, I feel like the conversation should have carried on. So, like, we know he um, attempted suicide. We know that if anybody went to see him, we don't know why he attempted suicide. Yeah. So, maybe it's a bit of all the things. Because he remember he used to struggle in school and he mm. used to have problems. Oh, his immigrant experience as well. Was, was, Wait, he was born there. Well, he was b- born there and taken back to Nigeria. Remember, and then his mom had to move back when Jenna yeah. died. So, it was just... So he kind of was raised there, basically. But then he still suffered because he was black, so basically, racism, full yeah. stop. So it's blessing. So he still went through um, problems because he was black. Mm. And he used to, remember the sunscreen issue when he was trying to use sunscreen when the lady was like, you shouldn't use sunscreen because it's black. And I'm like... Black <laughs> people need it too. Literally. <laughs> but anyways, I felt like she could have talked about it more. But what I didn't find surprising was um, <clears throat> if you read his friend's comment, so mm-hmm. she was like, I don't understand how a fine boy like DK would want to kill himself. 
a boy living in America with, with everything. How can that is very foreign behavior? That's the same as when what's the I can't remember what's the most recent celebrity who um had a drug was it drug or drinking issue? I can't remember her name. Dead or alive? She's alive. She didn't die. She was going to rehab again. Demi Lovato. Yeah, and how people were saying how can she be going through that when she has all this money? I said money is like the cure to mental health issues. People act like when you have money, you should not have any problems, but. I swear you say when you have more money, you have more problems. <laughs> <laughs> more things to hear about. You know what I think is interesting though? If you consider like our parents' generation towards mental health and our attitude to mental health, like when we speak about immigrant experience, so for them, because they had to deal with so much and not crumble because they, they had children that were mm-hmm. dependent on them. So now, for example, I think they, didn't also they, have can, the... they can't, like, there's, to, to an extent, they can't understand if we talk about our mental health condition. I think it's also because, because they, like, didn't the time, they didn't have the time and the space to pause and say, oh, let me sit down and check my health or my mental health. Yeah, we're constantly doing something. Yeah. So when you tell them you're struggling with mental health, they tell you you're not serious. That's oh. it. Yeah, that thing that they've, they've done 20, 20 times. Why are you acting like you're the first person in the world to do it? Oh my god, that phrase. Like, that's the word I hate that phrase so much. Why are you acting like you're the first person to do it? So it's stuff like I think that they don't understand because they didn't, they didn't stop to. For them, it was just we have to do it because we have to yeah. do it. I think sometimes within. And now it's because now we're having the conversations more. Yeah. Now we're more aware. I feel like if they were had if they'd be more aware, mm. if they had these conversations more, they'd have stopped to be like, okay, let me check my mental health. Okay, I'm doing too much. I'm better to stop now. For them, it was just less survive. Yeah. I mean, some people still have interesting mentalities now. Something's going on in our marriage. Be, be patient, be patient, be patient. I'm dying. Be patient, be patient, be patient. And there's some, be some news. Apparently, patient, some, patient, some lady, her husband used to drug her and rape her and record Whoa. it. And she didn't know this for years. And then one day, he forgot his phone. And then she oh, saw it on the... Some people actually... As her husband. Like her husband. He would drug her and rape her. And then record it. What kind of husband is that? I don't understand. This life that we're living. And then if, if that was to come up, for example, they'll say, oh, she did not cheat on you now. Stay in the marriage. Now people are useless. Some of these mentalities. Human beings are useless but um i feel like to remember raised a lot of important mental health conversations mm-hmm. that should be carried on um especially based on um decay feminine business even until even though she didn't really she didn't talk about it but i feel like until you went through a lot of like depression when she her job wasn't paying well but she yeah. was still studying for an exam and she had failed that exam the third time and that was why she would snap her like mm. familiar she would snap her dickie and that was her way of responding to like what was going on around her kind of thing so i think mental health was talked about like in in a realistic sense in the sense of this is what's actually happening to yeah me. this is how people go go by their day and this is how some people react to these things what it happens and it's there yeah. and we should be aware of it my mom had them um, female's mom also had a an episode <laughs> or episodes <laughs> as well i thought she was going crazy though. <laughs> no, but actually but yeah she also had a mental health like <laughs> i don't know i remember when her dad as well lost his job he was yeah, depressed. that's true. And he became a totally different person. Mm-hmm. So mental health was a very big theme in this Prevalent, yeah. in this book. And I loved that so much. Because oh. even the, even the times when it's subtle, you notice that. And it's there, basically. What is love? What are the characteristics of love? How dun, do you dun, know dun. when you are in love? Dun, dun, Those dun. are loaded questions. But I feel like this book, one of the central themes was about love. Definitely. If Emelu and Obinze. From the beginning. Oh, if Emelu and Kurtz. No, no, if no. If Emelu and Blaine. I get like, it. No, no, no. But you know that Atucho part. Atucho and the general God. <laughs> no, but you know that part where the first ever time when if Emelu met Obinze, how yeah. they were trying to match him up with Guinea yeah. Car. But the way she described the butterflies in her stomach and how you never knew that a man could make you feel this way. Uh, I loved that I description. Loved the ease 
of both of their relationships. Loved it. It's like two people that are meant to be. But that's, that's why I was asking what that's is That's why I loved how they ended up. Together. Yeah. Even though it the circumstances were very <laughs> annoying, you could feel the strength. And from the beginning, like actually from the way she introduced them, the way like the relationship flowed, it was just. I just felt like this people are going to be together. Comfortable. It was nice. It was just very. And it wasn't I like they never it. argued. It's come on, they did. Yeah. They had disagreements. I love the relationship she had with his mom. Yeah. His mom was such a was a beautiful mom. Like she's such an very, open person. Yeah. And they had important conversations. Mm-hmm. I love that conversation about when they wanted to have sex and she was like... I was like, oh my God, that is awkward. <laughs> no, but I felt like it was important that she had a conversation with her now. Yeah. Because she got them to think like... I thought it was interesting because in a, in a Nigerian context... No, I don't think it happens... A lot like, of the book is also about sexual liberation. So in a way, she, like if um, Obinze's mom channeled that, like she was the... I'm not going to tell you not to have sex, mm-hmm. but if you are having sex, make sure it's make safe. Make sure you, you do it with sense. Yeah. Not all parents are like that. Some parents don't even want to hear that the you're word, doing it. Yeah. yeah, but I like that she had that relationship with them not that many Nigerian parents are like that uh-huh. not gonna lie but it's also there's some who are actually very much like you know even want their kids to just them what's going on in their life just you know, who's the boy yeah, you're looking at and true. it's nice because when you're able to have an open relationship with them then they will not feel like there's a taboo topic mm-hmm. that they can't talk to you yeah because would you rather them asking some one of their age mates for advice exactly I think yeah no that's what I was gonna say it's a very beautiful thing no, but that's not a definition you just, no, what is love love is, is work love requires work interesting I like the Brené Brown definition of love what did she say um, if I find it anyway but what are you going to say go on throughout the book yes if Emily says she loves Obinze mm-hmm. she loves Kurt she didn't say she loves Kurt excuse me she loved that man she didn't say but she didn't she did she never admitted she said there was something about their relationship that was comfortable okay so she was it was nice being in that relationship why you could get whatever yeah. it is you wanted so would you say Obinze was the only person that she loved then the other two were just... I don't think she loved Blaine, for sure. I didn't understand that relationship. I don't I'm think sorry. she loved Blaine. I think she just loved the idea of having a professor. But it, was it was also so weird. But it was also black, so it was like, okay, I'm with a black guy who is a professor. For Kurt, I never saw them end up together. I loved Kurt, not going to lie. I liked yeah. the way he was. It was kind of the kind of person he was. But I felt like because of the kind of conversations they were and not were not able to have, mm. the kind of things that he, he, she could not talk to him about, especially the stuff where he always ignored when it, the race stuff happened. Mm-hmm. She will not be with someone for the rest of her life that she cannot have such important conversations yeah. with. So I would not say she loved her. I would say she strongly liked Kurt. Mm-hmm. She loved the idea of a relationship. Yeah. She could perhaps even almost picture them together. Uh-huh. But then I guess when she remembered those things that I would not allow, I didn't think she would have married. I've got my definition now. Yeah, Love is being seen and heard. That's that was what Obinze did. She could be who she was and that fit perfectly with, with, with who Obinze was. What's that? I think you might have highlighted that quote. The part where she said um, the one place where she didn't have to explain yes, herself. Yes, I do. Let me find it. Oh yeah, this is what she said. She said, she said, my definition of love is this. Renee Brown? Yeah. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be mm-hmm. deeply seen and known, which is mm-hmm. what you said. And when we honour the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness and affection. Love is not something we give or get. Yeah. It is something that we nurture and grow. A connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each one of them, we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Mm. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Yeah. Love can only survive these injuries if they are acknowledged, healed, and rare. I love Brené Brown's definition of love so That's much. Good. Right. How important is love in a marriage? Because as far as I'm concerned, Obinze felt duty towards Kosi. Yeah. I don't think she ever her. actually loved her. Yeah, he doesn't love her. So, never did, never loved her. I think love is essential in a marriage because if he loved her, why would it be so, it wouldn't be so easy for him to leave her for your family. But then why marry someone that you don't love? 
because some people might have convenience. A, some people, I, was about to say, I was just literally about to say some people have a marriage of convenience. Because for him, it was like he wasn't sure if he would ever see family. Come on, she yeah. never replied his messages, so he just told let him just get the stuff. But the thing is, I felt like for even if family, if family never came back, because mm-hmm. in the business marriage, never lasted. Do you think so? They cannot have a conversation. I don't. They I don't I disagree. I think if if family didn't come into the picture. They would have been perfectly fine. He would not have been like a happy person. So I but they had. Thing. It's, like it's not. It's not. I'm not arguing that it is. But I don't think he would have rocked the boat because that's the thing. Obis is a very duty driven kind no, of. No, it's a duty. It would not. It would not cheat on her. Yeah, I think it would eventually have been forced to leave. Maybe mm-hmm. I feel like maybe depression would make him leave. That's or great. you know how it gets it when you cannot have a meaningful conversation with someone and you live with them and you see them every single day. Yeah. Over time, you start to go crazy. I think that might be what. So maybe the fear of doing something that she would not like or that would the fear of hurting her might be what would force him to leave the marriage. If a family didn't come, they would not yeah. have lasted. They might, be. they might have lasted for ten years. But I feel like, how long would it be? Obisa likes to have conversations. You know the kind of person he is from the story. Yeah. And I don't think he would have lasted forever if family never came. He, he always talks like he felt Maybe that's sorry. Why we have such different he always talks like he always talks like he felt sorry for her. Yeah, he did. It was like a kind of like pity. It's like a bitchly. And that was like, really sad because I never I'm like you never you want your husband to <laughs> How long can you pity someone for? That's the thing. It's that's just, the question. Oh my god, a lot of incompatible people getting together. I know it's so sad because compatibility is actually. It's like a huge thing, <laughs> like such a huge thing. But yeah, that was another like fascinating relationship in the book. Yeah, that was interesting. And I just thought the dynamics never made sense. I didn't see them being together for. And she while. knew that he was cheating. Yeah, of course she did. And said nothing because the thing is, she knows that she's not being the standard. I think what she's trying to do is make sure she doesn't upset him that he leaves. And I feel sorry for people in relationships like that mm. when they try their best to not upset the guy. It's cheating is okay. I'll send a blind eye to yeah. it as long as it stays. Because I think it's because she's gotten used to the life that they're leaving. Yeah. Is, is wealth. She's gotten used to all of those things. To that lifestyle. So she'd rather live with the knowledge that he's cheating mm. than confront him. She'd rather just continue. As in, if he never came home and told her that I want a divorce, she would have stayed like that for the rest of her life. Even if she knew yeah. that it was cheating, she, like, she would never have said anything. No, but it's so sad because some people, obviously, there's so many reasons people don't leave when a guy is cheating. Yeah. She doesn't want to lose that comfortable life, not just for herself, but for her kids as mm. well. Um, So she'd rather just carry on living in that manner. But yeah. that's too much. I think in Nigerian context, like children are a huge reason for a lot of women sometimes to stay in marriages. It is. Like, they'd be like, oh, I don't want to. But my the thing again is, in Nigeria, a lot of women are. Well, not a lot, but it's a significant proportion of women in marriages like that they don't have financial security yeah. or financial independence so they don't have the support of their family yeah. most of the time because families will tell you mom will tell me if I could have more shoes so basically mm. you're not allowed to come back home after you've left to go to your husband's house True. so when they're not encouraging like that and when we have a culture of shesuru so be patient that's the only advice they give you but because we have that culture that mentality it's hard for her to just break free from yeah which leads us nicely to answer you and the general God. their relationship was like one of financial dependence and you know what it's so funny how I like control works like yes. the man bought her everything she needed for he her house you. but he never gave her money into her account like that's he that's was, how you know do you know how problematic that is it's there was never money in her account but he, she had all the food she wanted in the world she always had her hair done she always had the designer bag she had a yeah. car but she had to her ask house was a mansion yeah but she had to sell him exactly what she wanted there was no money in her account like, like she had nothing to her name a zero absolutely zero I feel like penny. if it was me what I would have been doing is I would have got him to furnish the house right? yeah I would have been selling the things that I would not <laughs> things that I would not know it's not that I would be in a relationship like this in the first place but if I had been I would be selling <laughs> I would have been selling the things 
No, he must be a dumb man to come into that no, house. No, that's what I'm saying. I would get into furniture house a lot. So okay. the rooms I'm in there will probably not go to come. He's only coming for a weekend to see me. I'll start selling those things, right? You don't even get him to get boys' quarters. Uh-huh. Furnish boys' quarters for the gate man, whatever. So I'll sell the things and leave like a room. Yeah. And I'll open, I'll open a separate account that he doesn't even know exists. And right. I'll put in the money in there. Because uh-huh. people like that, who I know, so she knew it was married. Come on. Yeah. Any, anything could have happened. If something was to happen today, tomorrow, how would I sustain myself? Which is what happened when the general died. Exactly. Like If not for those women that advised her yeah. to be smart, to exactly. move and go to America. Imagine if she never gave us a decade in America, so she would never have had an American passport, which meant that there wouldn't have been anything else for her to do. I always advocate for women to just have your own thing. Literally, you don't just, even have I to mean, be. A, you don't even have to be a full time wife. Exactly, in my opinion. you, you could be a, a full time mom, housewife, but you have a business, something, something. running, an investment somewhere. Yeah, something, exactly. Sha, that's exactly. running for you but because when the going gets to ask him, hmm. I don't like that thing. Where the guy would ever telling you. Bring your receipt. <laughs> We're talking about this. We're wearing it. Bring oh your God, receipt. I'm going to be trying to do Excel spreadsheet. You know what I Bro, mean? Bro, I bought this, this, this dress. Um, um, It's a Christian Levitin shoe um, for, for $299, probably $1,079.97 pence. Where is my two pence change? So stupid behavior like that. Like... You know what I mean? So what did you use in three friends to do? You would sit down and I'm like, like, hmm. or be show like, me. Uh, um, I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to daddy. I'm um, going Daddy. <laughs> daddy. Um, um, my friends are just part of coming up. And they said we should buy a shirt before 200 pounds. And then I say, ah, 200 pounds. What do you want to do? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because so I'm not going to be like... <laughs> And the two hundred pounds will be for the for the for the material that we used to support the Iran, but the gain it will come from it too in the two hundred pounds and, and it'll give us um smenio at the end of the party. And, and don't worry about I'll wear that shoe that you bought me for my gift last week. Stupid behavior. God of mercy. Oh. You want to I'll be giving you take you take my card. Go and spend five hundred. No man will give five hundred more than five hundred pounds on that card. Oh. <laughs> You're obviously going to be sensible, oh, but you don't want someone who literally wants you to prove every line. No, that's rubbish. No, financial independence, ladies, hmm. got to get on be it. Be able to spend it. Be able to have money that you can spend for yourself. Definitely. You're not to ask your husband. It's sad if, for example, imagine, imagine if you go in store and you wanted to buy something mm-hmm. and your card's declined and then you have to call your husband to please send you some money because the money you gave you for shopping wasn't enough. Do you have to <laughs> What if you refuse this income? That's true. That what are you buying in the house? That's not enough. That did you know both calculated this money before you <laughs> left the house? <laughs> Right, so the next conversation point is about religion in the book. And I feel like I'm going to go on a laughing spree. I feel like we've already lost the plot. (laughs) You know how some people just (laughs) act in blind when it comes to religion? I think that um, Chamana depicts this so So well. well. Especially with a feminist mom. That woman needs to be slapped a million times. I think she went to like four different churches at different points in her life that reflected different things that are going on in. Basically, she was looking for something that she couldn't put a word to. And so that thing that she was looking for she was going to find it in different churches and this so when until you just said seen the general if Emily's mom knew that the, the man was more than a mentor yeah to until she knew that until you was sleeping with the man what was she doing she'd be like ah oh, god bless our mentor uh-huh. until until you became pregnant and Hypocrisy. then it became seriously but because the money was coming and she couldn't say she didn't want the money she would not say yeah. no to someone who's because husband had lost his job she would not say no to someone who's giving her two years worth of rent mm. So she obviously has to say yeah, because she doesn't want to come across as judgmental. Yeah. So she raised after accepting, but in a way that's best pleasing to her. Exactly. But her having to think of the fact that now I'm accepting you, I'm accepting you as 
someone who's living with a man that's married. So she had to be like, oh, I'm accepting you because the mentor, the mentor is mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. I loved the line also in the church where the lady, the sister was trying to get him to do something. And then she was like, why are we acting as if these churches are not built on 419 exactly. money? 419 basically means crime. But that's so true though because a lot of people will go and will go and be donating money in the church but then you don't know the source of their mm-hmm. wealth. And you're telling them basically as long as you're doing God's own. Exactly. And giving God's own. Whatever it is you're doing is yeah. okay but one of the things that I love about this, in general, regardless of whether it's Christianity or Islam, yeah, and when it comes to religion, I hate prosperity gospel. You know, sometimes you see people and they're so like gullible, mm-hmm. and that's how they get like sorted out of their like hard, oh my hard end money. It's unfortunate. You know what? I don't believe in this concept of going to go and pay that pastor that in my yeah. that to pray for me. What's wrong with because ex- thank you, and I think that's that's what's so important. Oh. God can hear your own prayers, There's and we no have like we have like institutions within the religion, like some like zakat, which means like you're purifying your money or like. You give to charity because mm-hmm. you want God to give you, you more. To to That's separate, yeah. But sometimes I feel like we've institutionalized certain things to make it seem like it's a part of the religion. Yeah, not. this whole idea that like religion is there for you to get rich. I know because Why it's unfortunate. Not, that, not everyone's going to be wealthy in this lifetime, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're not watching a good God. But this whole idea that if you're poor somehow it's like an indictment. Exactly. And I think like really bad spiritual leaders are aware of that psychology because. It's natural, like everyone wants their needs to be satisfied. Why, why do you need a private jet? That's what I need to say. Why? I don't understand. Is it necessary? I feel like any religious institution that's asking you to like to suffer, suffer exactly. <laughs> you need to have governance boards. I need to be we seeing your report. It can't just be like money's going to a bucket and I'm not seeing where it's going. It doesn't every make sense. Year, I don't care how religious you are. To if you're God's chosen one, I still need to see those accounts. It can't be to buy you like to build houses for you, or so that you can be that's riding so jeep because you're the leader of so so yeah, mosque yeah, or church. Silly. It doesn't make sense to me because I don't all. know who gave you leaders. It's just God appointed. <laughs> Guys, let's be smart, especially in Nigeria. Shine your eyes as Nigerians say. I think they're like great people in every religion, but they're also people within like the communities who give other religion a bad name in general. Of course, let's be smart, let's be intelligent people. Religion doesn't mean that you throw your brain out the window. We keep reading like stories upon stories of people taking advantage of their position. Oh my god, this guy, but he's just been like in prison for 23 years. He slept with, no, I can't even say, do you see this? My problem with language, he didn't sleep. He raped five to 17 young boys. And he was a missionary. Like, it's crazy. Five to seven. It's just like, no, um, age five to age 17, five to yeah. Seven. And he just, got, he got 23 years. I'm sorry, that that's too, that's too low. It's, it's very, yeah, very, very problematic. So we need to be having these conversations. Because I think sometimes I think people try and bury it as well. We try to be people blind try and to these bury things it. now. And they also, don't want to talk about it, but it's important because people are at risk. Some people put these people on the, on the pedestal yeah. sometimes. So they, they refuse to see their flaws. That is so problematic to me. Until it happens to them. Because they're not they God. refuse people are not god i'm telling you and so this idea that like whoever it is that you look up to spiritually can't make mistakes or is not battling with their own issues that's gonna lead you down to a hole that you don't want to go into basically i've even forgotten how we started this that was interesting (laughs) religion and ephemerism yeah but honestly just shine your eye really well shine it shine it can you be pro-black and be in an interracial relationship question of the day indeed hot take dun, dun, dun. what's your opinion i think that you can be pro black and in an interracial relationship yeah. because it doesn't people always act to see when you're the black when you have a white for example you're black and you have a white person or someone that's not black it immediately just makes you white or maybe that person becomes like a blanket over your life mm. and so all your black problems run away no I would still would still be racist towards me if they want to be. I can be standing next to my husband, holding his hand, and someone will still give me a dirty look, will still treat me like crap because I'm black, right? 
because being with a black white person doesn't make me any less black. I think it's very important for us to realize that being with a white person or a non-black person, wait, doesn't make you any less black. However, I feel like there are levels to these things. Thank you. So I feel like, for example, if I'm going to be in a relationship with a white person, for example, or a non-black person, Asians, because Asians don't ex- understand some of our black experiences as well, mm-hmm. and some of them can be. Anyways, yeah, I feel like it has to be someone who is respectful of the fact that I go through these things. Not someone that I'll come and tell you, oh, this someone was racist, like said this racist comment to me, and then you'll be like, oh, you're overthinking it. Or probably didn't mean it that way. Mm. Because that's the worst thing. The person you want to be able to share these things with is your husband. Be able to go home to your husband and still feel to be safe enough to be like, oh, I went through this thing today, and then your husband can be like, I understand, don't be upset. Basically, it's empathize but then if you're not even willing to acknowledge the fact that these things happen mm. then that's a problem which is what happened with Kurt and what's her name I didn't think they were going to last bro I just I they lasted longer than I thought they were going to last I mean, <laughs> his money was sweet and it's nice to have someone that can just one phone call away no but no because I felt like she actually really liked him mm. one phone call that is bro I'm in Italy I mean bro they oh, travelled around the world because that guy was rich. But at the same time, it's like he was okay. he was trying to be ignorant to the problems. Remember when she was in the shop and I can't remember what happened. Mm. And, and he was like, yeah, no, she's overthinking it or something like that. And when she cut her hair and he was like, why did she cut her hair? But I felt like he didn't even understand the struggle of her having to, them telling her that her braids is too, is unprofessional. It was just like, mm. I felt like the reason why he didn't want her to cut her hair was because it just, it likes the way it looked on her and the story was exotic. And therefore, if you didn't say exotic, and that's always the risk sometimes that fetishization. And if you think about YouTube and interracial couples, oh my god, they drive me absolutely up. God of mercy. (laughs) Now, bro, there's actually there's some people that actually love black people. It's a fetish. It's some guy chased my girl from the bus stop, my friend from the bus stop, from the train station, sorry, to the bus stop. She was scared. She had to call her sister, pick her up. He said, I have one in Japan's in my pocket. I'll give it to you. Please marry me. I love you. He doesn't know her from. Adam. Can you imagine? Some, some Oibo guy. Because you know some of that thing when yeah. they see a black person and they want to die. No, for me, coming from an Islamic angle, God said you can marry anyone you like. Oh, Quite yeah, frankly, definitely. I don't care who you marry. That's none of my business. I just think for your own welfare and for your mm-hmm. children's welfare, make sure that you don't marry someone sure that is going right to pass on self-hate onto your, your children. children. Imagine if your husband comes to and is like, why is your hair so curly to your child why is your hair so curly or to you even why can't you just straighten your hair for this out outing like, but now that if you pass that narrative on to you and your children see that they're going to grow up not liking their hair because daddy never liked one his hair like that oh god or mommy didn't strange. like my or hair so it's just very I, I most of the time even though i know a lot of people who have that opinion that you can't be pro-black if you marry a white person i don't engage with it any personally because i think islamically for us yeah not to marry anyone make, a lot of that we created you in different like colors and different countries, different all of these things, so that like, yeah. you can like relate with each other. Imagine if I everyone just married people in their own country. That would be boring, bro. Exploring but it. I just say like you make sure you're not doing it as well because of the status thing. Just, as, and oh my god, a white guy elevate me. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that actually? I don't that's understand. Personal palaver. Wow, because <laughs> people think like this. That's but a problem. Yeah. But yeah, I think you can be pro-black and be in interracial relationship. We just have to be wise with your choices. Just say. One of our last few conversation points. 
we've titled it the task of writing black female protagonists should they be likable because part of like the problem a lot of people had with the family was mm-hmm. that she was not likeable. i mean but i think what i liked about it is the fact that she didn't care First yeah i was talking about the fact that in life mm-hmm. you cannot like everybody that's and true therefore it's very important for you to recognize that asap yeah. i think that i loved how she held that concept throughout the book mm. because it helps you because some people they don't like when people don't like them people like to please everyone some, yeah everyone's everyone can like them but in, reading about Ifemi you realise that Ifemi lived her life whether or not you liked her yeah. or not she she was really bored in a lot of decisions herself. that she that she made she yeah. did a lot of things and it was because she did not care mm-hmm. whether or not you liked her yeah. and that's what you get from the vibe yes Ifemi made some stupid decisions Marcus. yes I didn't like some of the things that she did mm-hmm. but she was still her pe- a person in her own self and yeah. I thought that was what was important so I don't think it, they have to be likable or unlikable because you could still identify with family whether or not you liked her. A level of her boldness, I, I know some people would want to have. I think that's Definitely. what, yeah, like Chawana was aiming for, like this so, liberated black female yeah, protagonist. Is, a lot of the times they try to force women to be likable people. Yeah, like so I loved them. how Chimamanda just refused to confine yeah. the into this person that you had to like. Exactly. By force by fire. Which is interesting because I really didn't like her character. Chimamanda might have actually or probably did do it intentionally yeah. where it's like why must people definitely, always have a definitely. character? Why must women even though she's a female protagonist whatever, why must she be like her? Why must yeah. she like her? Why must she conform to all the good things that you want her to be? Exactly. Let her be different. I think a lot of writers sometimes feel that pressure to write like likeable female characters. I think that's so true. Expect. I think that's true. So it was a refreshing. It's good to be different. different. Yeah. Because if there's some of the things the family did, if someone in real life that you knew did it and you just have this conversation with them, mm. people might be seeing her as like, I don't like you. The thing is, I can't pinpoint exactly why I don't like her. It wasn't the same thing. It's not one thing. It's just because sometimes she's like, it's okay, she's fine. Yeah. But then she's like totally on her side. That's the thing. It's a com- I think it's a combination it's of things. Where you're like, very... really, if you really, you could have yeah. done better, basically. But I just liked how she definitely did not make her likable. Mm. I think the hallmark of great writers is like they evoke strong emotions. Basically. So whether you like it or hate it, as long as it's a strong emotion, it's then strong it's anyway. That's women. like, we just well done. So, that's true. Well done to Mamanda. <laughs> Excellent book. We love you. Of course, always. Absolutely. Okay, so misogyny and sexism in the workplace is another central theme. There's a family's dad who has to who had to call someone mummy, and then there was another that character was later very on. Problematic. Call somebody mummy. Do you know how problematic that? Is? No, I'm sorry. In any because yeah, what are you saying? Workplace. <laughs> because yeah, the manager. Why do you have to call anyone mummy? Is it that you don't have children to call anyone mummy at school? Our notion of respect is so skewed. It's messed up. <laughs> no, it's actually mummy for what. Up. I don't know because I, I could I was struggling to understand <laughs> why I would call. But you look at like, but then I think it's so mm-hmm. fascinating that it was written in such a way that he regretted not calling her mummy, and I think it's, it's unfortunate so that people are placed in that situation where you have to choose between earning a living and, and your dignity. <laughs> Sexism. I mean, that's part of why we're having me too. <laughs> Sexism assault. Mm-hmm. This whole like dynamic. And no, that's why I was saying it was interesting because it, this time it was the woman that was using her power mm. dynamic against the man. Because in most situations, we hear it it's like the it's the man, man yeah, that's, that's like true. using, that's using um, like that position of power. Mm-hmm. So there was like, this is a, um, what do you call it? An unexpected way to see it. That's I just want to understand the psyche of even asking someone to call you mommy. Call like, what does that do for work. you as a person? Because does it make you feel like you're brilliant? Like, you're no, really it like a boss. It's, it's power. Sometimes <laughs> it, it all comes down to power. It actually does. Like, really. <laughs> I find that very funny. 
Yes. Okay, so now we're on to quotes to discuss. Okay, so this quote is, Please don't speak Igbo to him, Auntie Uji said. Two languages will confuse him. And I, I put so, this down. Yeah, I was so pissed when I, saw, when I read that in the book. I was thinking, is Auntie Uji confused? Why is she asking, like, they didn't speak Igbo and English to her growing up? Did it confuse exactly. her? Did it confuse her? I'm sorry, but that's her? such a prevalent thing in Nigeria. Of course it is. Where it's like, no. by force, by force, my don't child speak, must speak English. They'll tell you don't speak Igbo so to speak my child. Because I don't want them to start speaking Yoruba English. What is Yoruba English? And that thinking is actually so illogical because it's when a child is young they're more likely to exactly so capitalize so on don't that. you want them to let exactly oh, i'm going on another tangent but again on the subject of language it reminds me of when breath becomes hair and you know in one of the books he was in one of the chapters he was talking about um like a brain surgery for some guy that they had to do yeah, yeah. and the importance of like not accidentally <gasps> oh, cutting the second part of because either oh. he'll understand it oh, and he can't remember. speak or he can speak and he can't form like a Forgotten all can't form sentences. Yeah, but like language is literally at the essence of who we are. It as is. People. It's so crucial. Definitely. So like uphold your own language. What are we trying to run away from? Thinking. And then you still hear this white people telling you, Oh, I wish I had a different uh-huh. language. Yeah. I wish I knew a different language. So I'm thinking, what are we not trying to achieve by only speaking English? English? I don't understand. Me. But yeah, it's a very Nigerian. I think one of my family thing. friends, she only speaks to you about her child at home. Mm-hmm. That's good. Didn't allow to speak yeah. English at home. Even Chimamanda, she only speaks Igbo to her daughter. Yeah, because I was speaking English at the time in school now. Do you remember about that in one of the essays that we read? Yeah. Yeah, she did. So you can tell how like passionate she is about the language. And no, I know she's definitely preserving it here. So closing of show, what's your favourite quote? Sorry. Um my favourite quote is this depression was what happened to Americans. Um this is what Ephemeris said when or thought when a friend Ginnika um, suggested that she might be depressed because of she, because she hadn't been leaving the house and everyone been trying to, everyone had been trying to get through to her because they weren't able to get through to her. Ginnika had lived in America, so mm-hmm. she kind of knew what was going on. Yeah, and if anybody just thought depression didn't happen to me, and I thought I felt like it was a perfect depiction of what Nigerians thought about mental health. If you can't see it. You can't put a name yeah. to it. It's therefore, it's not happening to me. It's just, it happens to those evil people there. Exactly. But then it's because we've chosen to turn a blind eye to it. It doesn't yeah. mean it's not happening to you. And it, because also when it happens to someone, we just go on and say, oh, why don't you pray about it? Your faith is not strong. And I remember some lady was saying she moved from America to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And she was going through a lot and she must have confided in someone who meant a lot to her. Yeah. And the first thing the best said to her was, you're not praying enough. You need wow. to change your church. Your faith is not strong enough. How did that correlate? Exactly to what she's actually going through. Like, how did you, if I changed my church, if I, how did you even measure my faith to it's, know whether it was strong enough or not? And I think that's one of the things that Chimaman perhaps could have explored more. Dickie's attempted suicide. Oh, yeah. She should have talked slightly more about, especially more. when he really stayed back and postponed that can mm, come into. Mm. I wish, especially because Ibinze now asked what happened and yeah. stuff. They never had that conversation yeah. again. I feel like Ibinze when he first when he first saw her would have asked her. So how is Dickie doing? Or because mm-hmm. I know Dickie came to Nigeria, right? yeah. so at some point they should have had that conversation. conversation. I think. Yeah. I think it would have been. Nice. But it was really good that she actually talked about mental health. Because it wasn't just with Dickie, it was also a family with her depression as well. Oh my god, well. I forgot to talk about one important part of the book to what? me. That little scene where um, the Kossi was interviewing house helps. <sighs> so in this scene, Kossi is interviewing house helps. So she yeah. checks their bags before she employs them. And she checks the bag of one of the house helps. And she sees condoms there. And she goes ballistic and she's shouting at her. Then has to leave the house, so she's come with the intention of sleeping with her husband. So Obinze asked her, mm-hmm. "Why do you have condoms in your bag?" The house mm-hmm. girl. And the house girl goes, "My boss in the house where I used to work used to rape me, so yeah. I thought I should come prepared." Can you imagine? And the worst part was because still just, sent her away. And Obinze was trying to get her to see since, but she was still thinking, yeah. "Why is Obinze?" This is why I say, "Ah, Obinze and Kosi can never like." Because <laughs> that's just something plane. like that. Intellectually, it just didn't match. Honestly, it was just at all. 
But I found that very problematic that the household got it. She got used to so it Get became a normal thing. So being raped is normal. It's a part of being a household. So therefore, she been. But that wasn't herself. the only time. Actually, I found that so fascinating that my Amanda wrote about that because that wasn't the only time. There was a time Obinze was dating a woman, and I forget what her name was. Mm-hmm. Um, but he like the description in the book was that Obinze cooked for her. And, it was and she some, was surprised. She was surprised because she wasn't saw, used to men, men showing, yes, yeah, like yes. showing even a little love. Okay, the quote is: She stared at him in shock. The first time he cleaned a, her flat and cooked jollof rice for her, she was so unused to being treated well by a man that she watched him endlessly, anxiously, her eyes veiled as though holding her breath and waiting for the abuse to emerge. Imagine. I literally wrote such a sad reality. It is. All he did was cook jollof rice though. And clean the house. And she was waiting for abuce. That's so problematic. That's where the line is now. That's where the bar is now. If a guy can, if a guy treats you well, if a guy takes care of you, you know that there's something coming with it. I know a lot of people that say they don't like taking things from guys because they feel like it's going to have something attached to it. And that's so sad. Yeah, it's weird because we're like supposed to be closing the show, but there's another discussion to be had okay, no, just about true. like the relationship, expectations in marriage, I and think patriarchy, and patriarchy. Until you do husband, until you had this interesting <laughs> husband called Baltimore. Oh, uh-huh. he's very no, not even Bart- Baltimore. No. They're Bartholomew. That's his name. Oh, that's it. <laughs> that's why I didn't remember because his name was rubbish. Well, his name <laughs> as a person because it was such a rubbish person. So he was working. She mm-hmm. was a full time doctor. Yeah, and he said to her. That because she's working, her, her salary should be should be given to him. Mm. So she should go work, slave as a doctor, and then come home, give him her money. Yeah, and he would do nothing in the house, just sit. And, and the other problem was the fact that he would come home. They'll both go to work. They'll both come home. She's a doctor, so she's tired. He's tired, fair enough. But he would cross his leg on the table, drink beer, and ask her what's oh, for dinner. Ah. I had this conversation with I my mean, uncles and they were arguing with me in the uh-huh. car about how are you doing he's gone to the, the man's job is to provide and if he's doing his job then that means the washing I said that's that's rubbish that's actually because cooking for me it's not a job cooking is a basic life skill I know that I'm supposed because they're trying to use the Quran for reference uh-huh, right? but I said no I know the Quran said so take care of the home yeah. but please the Quran said you must cook for your husband why can't my husband cook for me too exactly you know what I love about five love languages there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a part in the book a story that they shared where this couple, because everyone knows that his wife doesn't like cooking, he does the cooking. Mm. Are you going to die? It's like, it's not something that emasculates If you. it's something you enjoy and you love it, like, it's not that. It will deep. not kill you. It Literally. <laughs> you know what, you yeah, that's like you're saying, my husband has to actually not cook. And you the reason die. why is, I have a younger brother yeah. who cooks for me. <laughs> exactly. Come on, I'm, he has actually not like, like, yes, told to me because I've been, dr- I've been thinking about it so long. I'm thinking, if this were a ghost, you in September, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. I've been thinking that soon. So we give me breakfast in bed and then we're like, oh, uh, let me tease you for breakfast in bed. So, like, you can't then tell me you don't want yeah. to. Like, but just in general, like, patriarchy and some fascinating. Like anyway. it, but if it's like you can do it and then you refuse to do it because you're a man, then that's a problem. Yeah, actually, any, you, you anytime know. someone says because I'm a man, I've already. Or anytime someone infers that I can't, they're a man, like it's just a problem. I, come again, please. It's not my job. Yeah, you're dumb. come again. Cooking is a basic life skill. Just saying, go and learn how to do it. Yeah, but I think the marriage. I think because expectations of marriage should, should be married. So I feel like there's so many conversations that should be had before you even get married mm-hmm. to someone. And I feel like a lot of people skip those conversations because it's, you're in that you get carried away. Phase. That's why I told you I enter it with a CV, CV kind <laughs> of behaviour, a job interview kind of behaviour. First, get the important things out because it's very easy to be clouded by the fact that you guys have similarities or have yeah. all these things that you like because then you start to overlook the important things because you feel like, oh no, we're already similar to each other because similarity does not mean compatibility. Yep. And people That's don't realise that. 
But yeah, anyways, that's the end of this conversation, guys. I just had to have this. I just had to talk about this. A little detour today. Okay, so my favorite quote is: "One of the things I've learned is that everybody in this country has the mentality of scarcity. We imagine that even the things that are not scarce are scarce, and it breeds a kind of desperation in everybody, even the wealthy." Well, I I love it because I just felt like it was the perfect depiction of what I thought about Nigeria. Yeah, and Brennan Brown talks about it a lot as well. This idea or mentality of scarcity mm-hmm. so i just loved it absolutely that, loved it. yeah it just hurts us okay what's the latest book that you're reading so i'm about <laughs> to start mindfulness by ellen langer i can't longer langer i hope that's how you say Lange. but i can't wait to read it because i heard about it from the column podcast yeah. and i know it's going to be great because uh-huh. of all the great things that have been said about it yeah so i can't wait for my life to change because that is the reason why i read a lot of books that's anyway good. Um, what are you reading? I'm reading Ryan Holiday, and I can't wait for us to do the conversation on Ryan Holiday. Ego is the enemy. I love I've that book, but I need to read it again. Um, I, think, I don't know if I prefer Obstacles Away to Ego is the Enemy. I don't know, actually. I don't, name. I don't I know which one was written first. Obstacles Away. Uh-huh, I prefer Obstacles Away to Ego is yeah. the Enemy, but I like both of them because he's got both of them. He always writes. Really? Um, um, Ego is the Enemy and Obstacles Away. He chooses really nice titles. It does. It's like, it's just, it, it sums up, up the whole book. It does. Literally. Obstacles are always so good. I think Ego's Enemy as well, they both bring up... He has important points about yeah, important conversations. Yeah, definitely. Like, things that you don't think about. Yeah. He thinks about. But I love I love how it incorporates stoicism to everything. Mm. Because stoicism, their practices were on point. Yeah. Ryan Holiday actually, like, inspires me a do- Oh, definitely. my goodness. So, Ryan Holiday, wherever you are, please don't join the league of problematic people because I feel like this is what happens. I really like someone and then something pops yeah, up and they become problematic. Right so, please. He's fully practicing his stoicism, so I trust him not to... I appreciate your work. To, yeah, to deviate. Anyways. So. Okay, that's it. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Bookfization. We hope you've gained benefit from the discussion. You can find the book review on myrehila.com. Bookfizations is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with your auntie, your friends, your friends' friends, that auntie that is not family. <laughs> make sure you share it with everyone. And of course, join the conversation on our social media page, Bookfizations, on Instagram, so we can keep the discussion going. Email us your thoughts at bookforsationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out. Till next time. Peace out, guys. Remember to read. You forgot it. Peace out. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>